now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. This episode is sponsored by Third Love. Third Love's 24-7 t-shirt bra is the most comfortable bra I've ever owned. It's made out of super soft memory foam that molds to your shape and truly gives you the perfect fit. And if you're not so new to all the books, you've heard us talk about it plenty. Liberty and I are both huge fans. Third Love stands behind their 24-7 t-shirt bra so much that they're willing to let our listeners try it for free for 30 days, which is a good long while to get a feel for whether it's right for you. If you love it, you'll keep it. They'll charge your card. If you don't love it, you send it back. You're not out any dollars. So start your free trial now at thirdlove.com slash books. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 52, and today we are talking about books released on May 3rd, 2016. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow old redhead, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. It's our birthday! Yes! I never noticed whether I should say, like, birthday or anniversary. I don't know. Birth anniversary? Yes! <laughs> Jinx! <laughs> I've been wondering also, because we've been kind of using them interchangeably. I don't think it matters. 52 episodes, baby. Yeah. That's incredible. And also, um, today on Facebook... On the On This Day feature, which is the only thing that I use Facebook for now, um, it, it's our three-year anniversary since we hung out with Terry Tempest Williams, which was Such like... Such a good day. The, one of the greatest days of our lives. It was one of our greatest days. We yeah. I, Well, I cried a lot. Yeah. And we ate chicken and, and waffles. Role reversal. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sometimes we have to keep it interesting. Uh, that was when we had our first sleepover, too. Yep. That was uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was such a good trip, and meeting Terry was awesome. I really can't believe it's been three years since that, and that, like, way back then, this podcast wasn't even a twinkle in our eyes. I know. Aw, here we are. This is a, this is a good, it's a good time. I can't, I just really can't believe it's been a year already. This, it's so much fun to do this every week. And I was thinking earlier if I should try to be cute and sing to you, but I couldn't come up with anything (laughs) other than like a bad kind of breathy Marilyn Monroe imitation. Oh, well, I'll just imagine it. (laughs) Thanks. It's probably much better that way. Uh, So we're going to do kind of a duplicate of what we did last week and we'll do two picks each and then answer some more listener questions, since that's what we are doing for our birth anniversary. Um, and you then will follow it up with an enormous uh, new books newsletter that will drop uh, on May 3rd as well, so people can get tons and tons of new titles, because this is a huge week for books. Yes, and if you're not subscribed to the newsletter, you should do that. You can find a link in the show notes, but also there'll be a huge, that huge list will be in the show notes itself. So if you don't get the newsletter... But you, you can should. check it out, but you should. Yeah. All right. You want to kick us off? I will do that. I'm so excited about this book and also very sad because the author is going to be in town while I am at BEA. My first pick is Imagine Me Gone by Adam Hazlitt. I love, 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 love him. He puts out a novel or a collection of stories only every few years, but they're always perfect and amazing. 
Um, I just, I think he's fantastic. This one is about a couple. Um, it starts out with, with Margaret and John. Uh, they are college students in London. Margaret is from America. John lives in London. Um, they meet, they fall in love, they have a romance, and they get engaged. And just as, as the wedding is, is heading towards them, uh, John kind of changes and becomes very despondent and quiet and strange. And Margaret has to travel to New York, and while she's there... Um, she hears from a friend that John is in the hospital, and she goes back, and it turns out that he suffers from depression. He suffers greatly um, so that he can't even function. And, you know, she has a talk with his doctor, and he's like, you know, are you sure that you want to take this on? You know, do you love him? And she's like, yes, I do. And he's like, well, then all the best to you. Um, and she goes ahead and marries John, and they have three children. And due to some changes in John's job, they end up uh, back in the States. Um, they have three young children, Michael, Celia, and Alec. Um, Alec is the youngest. He's kind of the baby, it, not just because he's the youngest, but he's kind of a baby in general. Um, he's very coddled and sensitive. Um, Celia is very smart and headstrong. And Michael is the oldest, and he's a genius. Um, and when we meet them, Michael is 12, and already Margaret can see some similarities between uh, John and Michael. Michael is starting to show some some signs of, of being unique and special. Um, and then it goes on from there. It's told from all the points of view, from all the different people in the family. Um, we see the future, you know, as Michael becomes this sort of musical genius and his siblings have to try and, and help him along and they worry about him. And it opens with this thing that happens, which I'm not going to tell you because that would be rude. Um, <laughs> but then it, like, backtracks and, and starts over. But it's just, it's so beautiful and heartbreaking and it's it's just a really rich um wonderful novel about mental illness and how it affects not just the person who suffers from it but the whole family and the decisions that they make and you know margaret struggles you know as she watches michael you know should she have married john should she have brought michael into the world you know knowing how he struggles now um it's so so beautiful and i loved it and that's all i'm going to say about it so oh, I've had my eye on that one. I know you love him oh, so much. I love him so much. It's it's so good. And again, it's called Imagine Me Gone by Adam Hazlitt. Awesome. My first pick this week is by Lydia Millet, who I just discovered last year when Mermaids in Paradise came out. And I just felt like, where has this writer been all my life? You know, every now and then that happens. Um, and I was so excited that she has another novel coming out. And everything that she does is so different from everything else that she's done. Her collection yes. of work cannot be summarized. It's not like, oh, she writes dark thrillers or, oh, she writes satire or, oh, she writes erotic romance or whatever. Like every single book feels like it was written by a different author in the best and most interesting possible way. Oh, uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So this one is called Sweet Lamb of Heaven, and it's kind of a thriller. It's mostly a thriller. It's about a woman named Anna, whose husband, Ned, is a terrible dude, uh, but he's running for local office in their hometown in Alaska. Uh, or maybe it's a state seat. Uh, Ned's running for office and he thinks he's really fancy and important. Uh, and Ned and Anna have been having problems for a while. So Anna gets out and runs away. Uh, and Ned is orchestrating her life 
from afar, uh, observing her, she thinks, like, she thinks that her phone is bugged, she thinks that the place that she's staying is bugged, he's uh, giving her, he's issuing her these weird ultimatums, and she ultimately figures out that he's kind of altering her reality uh, in ways that don't make sense until you are, uh, unless you're reading the book. Um, and so most of the storyline moves along as Anna trying to stay a step ahead of Ned or trying to deal with the demands that Ned is making because of course he's a politician and so he wants his wife to be standing by his side with their adorable daughter and for the whole family to look great uh, and for everything to at least appear to be the way that a conservative small town in Alaska wants their politicians to look. Uh, but he's just not a good guy. What makes this a Lydia Millet book is that combined with all of that happening, we find out that when their child was born, Anna started hearing this voice speaking to her. Uh, it wasn't coming out of the kid's mouth. It didn't identify itself. It was just sort of like this looming thing that she thought was just in her head that she was hearing. And it would say, it would like quote Bible verses and it would quote poetry and it would say these very philosophical, like meaning of life, the universe and everything kinds of things to her. And it would say things that she had no idea what it meant. And only once did she have any indication that she wasn't the only person that heard it. One time, it seemed that Ned heard the voice also. But she never knew what this was. She just lived with this feeling of like, maybe I'm crazy, but the things that it says, like I can trace them to like poetry, but I've never read that poem before. I don't know how this would even get into my head. She thinks that there's something wrong with her and she's living with that really unsettled feeling of it. And then when their child starts talking, the voice stops talking to her. And she thinks it has something to do with that. Like, oh, as soon as the child had its own voice, this other thing couldn't come through my child to talk to me anymore. She finds herself as she's running away uh, in Maine at this like abandoned motel. And while she's there, she finds out that she's not the only one who has heard the voice. Uh, and that's as far as I'm going to take it because the rest of the book explores what happens to her and Ned and their daughter and what Ned is doing meddling in her life and threatening her. He's very menacing. Uh, the thriller aspect of it is fascinating, but also the what is this thing that's speaking to her? Is it connected to something in the universe? Lydia Millet writes in these like almost sort of meditations on the the possible nature of God and on the nature of language and consciousness. And it's like it kind of Gone Girl meets Milan Kundera, <laughs> in, which sounds crazy, but it's a thing I really wanted to read and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, and it, so, it just sounds so strange and it is so strange, but it's such a wonderful read. If you're looking for an author who really is not like anybody else that you are going to read, I can't recommend Lydia Millet enough. And that one is Sweet Lamb of Heaven. I know you, you didn't want to give anything else away, but I think it's okay to say that the voice sounds like Bruce Willis. <laughs> right, I forgot about that. It doesn't really, but... Um, <laughs> oh, Liberty. I was like, wait, I was willing to believe you because I was like, maybe it does. <laughs> no, I'm just showing my age, you know. <laughs> oh, man, I like me That was like Willis one of John Travolta's comeback movies and like one of those comeback times, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> we had to do our first sponsor <laughs> while I recover my dignity. Oh, yeah, but I was going to tell you, if you haven't read it, which I don't think you have, she has an amazing young adult novel called <gasps> Pills and Starships. But it's a dystopian that. future. It's awesome. Um, all right, I'll, I'll stop goofing around now, and I'll <laughs> tell you about our first sponsor. Our first sponsor is The Killing Forest by Sarah Bladel. Uh, the number one international best-selling author of The Forgotten Girls, Sarah Bladel returns with a thrilling next book in her series featuring police investigator Louise Rick. 
Sarah Bladel is the most popular author in Denmark, literally. Winner of the prestigious Golden Laurel, Bladel's dark, suspenseful stories reach one-fifth of Denmark's entire population collectively, and her fan base is growing all the time. I know, right? It's crazy. Yeah. That's that's awesome. (laughs) Like, they're like, you know, humble brag. Right. Just no big deal. 20% of the people who live in our country have read this book. (laughs) With the publication of The Forgotten Girls, which was praised as gripping with uncompromising realism by the Washington Post, and now The Killing Forest, she is poised to become a star in America, too. This time, Louise Rick is assigned a case involving a 15-year-old who vanished a week earlier. When Louise realizes exactly who the missing teenager is, she seizes the opportunity to combine the search for the teen with her personal investigation of her boyfriend's long-ago death. And as she moves through the small town's cramped networks of deadly connections, Louise unearths toxic truths left unspoken and dangerous secrets. Ooh. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. I haven't read this one yet. I read the last one. And I forgot that um, her boyfriend had died and it wasn't, like, resolved in that book. Um, mm. Now I need to know what happened. The Killing Forest takes readers on a journey back through Louise's past as she reconnects with the principal investigator of the Hobeck Police Department, her former in-laws, a fanatic religious cult, and her longtime close friend, journalist Camilla Lind. As she navigates through the small town's cramped networks of deadly connections, Louise unearths toxic truths left unspoken and dangerous secrets. So there you have it. And I should say that in case you're looking her up right now, her last name is spelled Bladel, B-L-A-E-D-E-L. And you can find her on Twitter at twitter.com slash Sarah Bladel, S-A-R-A-B-L-A-E-D-E-L. And we thank them for sponsoring the show today. Yeah, we'll have a link in the show notes as well. Yes, that part too. Okay, I am so interested in this next title. I just need you to tell me all about it. Oh, yes. I was like, what are you talking about? Don't you know you read it? Oh, wait, it's my turn. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to botch his name completely. I have no idea how to pronounce it. Uh, my next pick is called The Yoga of Max's Discontent by Karen Baja. Uh, it's B-A-J-A-J. I'm so sorry. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, and yeah, so when I first saw the book title, it makes me think of The Winter of Our Discontent. And then it made me think of Reality Bites and how when I was young and I used to watch that movie, I wanted to make my answering machine, machine message just like Ethan Hawke's where he says, hello, you've reached the winter of our discontent. Anyway, um, so... I will be the first to admit that when people use adjectives to describe me, spiritual and enlightened are probably not among them. Morbid and weird, probably the first ones. Um, So this is a book about a man's spiritual journey. And, you know, I try to read everything, a little bit of everything. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go for it. Even though I was like, oh, spiritual, you know. (laughs) And I'm like, who is yoga in the title? (laughs) Yeah. Um, but it was great. It's about a man named Max. He grew up in a very dangerous housing project in New York City with his mother and his sister. Um, his parents were Greek immigrants who, his father died when he was very young, and and they worked very hard for what they had. Um, Max was really brilliant, and he got sent to a private school, and he went to Harvard, and he's, like, working this job in New York City, and he's not, like, thrilled about everything, But, you know, everything's okay, but then his mother dies, and he realizes, like, this is not what I want to do. I don't know what to do with my life. Um, He looks at all his friends that he grew up with in the the housing project, you know, and some of them are are dead. Some of them are, you know, wounded. Um, Some of them, you know, are in jail, and he's just like, I don't know what to do. And then one day he's talking to this man at a food cart, and he tells him about the yogis in the Himalayas and how... They have achieved, like, such serenity and peace, and they have the answers to the world, and, like, they talk to very few people. I mean, he de- and he decides, like, I'm going to go do that. 
Like, I'm going to drop my job, my fabulous, you know, well-paying job, um, and just go to the Himalayas. And it's about, like, how he arrives there, and he realizes, like, he's a ridiculous American, and they think he's a ridiculous American. You know, he's just, like, he's on this, like, you know, eat, pray, love kick that everybody's on. Um, but he wants him to take him seriously, so he goes for it. He he heads out into, like, the freezing cold Himalayas. Um, it's very dangerous. He suffers a lot. Um but it's like good, like you're like go, Max, go. Like you, you realize like he's really with this, you know. And he goes in search of these yogis who supposedly sit naked in caves in like the 15 below weather because they've you know transcended you know the need for clothing and the need for food. And he wants to learn how to be like that. He wants the answers to life, and he thinks he can do it. So it's all about his journey and the people he meets and and uh, his teachers that he meets along the way. Um, and it's really fun. I I really, really enjoyed it. Like I said, you know, I was like, oh, yoga, that's that's Rebecca's thing. You know, like, <laughs> you know, I can barely walk, let alone put my, you know, leg behind my head or anything. <laughs> um, he does a lot of yoga. So, um, but it was great fun, and I really enjoyed it. And again, it's called The Yoga of Max's Discontent. We should build a yoga session into the live all the books recording at Book Riot Live. That would be so embarrassing. <laughs> or we could just meditate. <laughs> you just sit still and close your eyes and think happy thoughts. <laughs> okay. About books. Yeah, books. That's or whatever. It. Books, that's all I got. <laughs> uh, let's see. My next pick is, man, I really liked this book. It's called Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance by Angela Duckworth. And it's essentially trying to ask the question, why are successful people successful? Which, uh, if you've read any business books, and this is a personal thing that I like, I can't resist a good business book, um, or self-help kinds of things, you have asked this question before, and you've probably read several attempted answers at it as well. Um, Duckworth is a really groundbreaking psychologist. And so this is not uh, this is not just a theory. It's a bunch of data that she's put together to really explore um, people who succeed at remarkable things and people who are just really good at their everyday jobs or their hobbies. How do they get that way? And she terms it grit. And that's a two factor thing be between passion and perseverance. So the title of the book kind of tells you everything everything you need to know. Um, she breaks it out to say, you know, it helps to have talent when there's a thing that you want to do. Um, but when she really started looking at like the winners of the national spelling bee and Olympic level swimmers and, you know, all sorts of talented business people and musicians, it's not just about being a genius or being a natural, even though that's a sexier story to tell. We love to talk about how someone is successful because they're just naturally good at whatever. Um, it's really about how much effort they have applied. And it goes beyond the Malcolm Gladwell trope of, uh, you know, you need to practice for 10,000 hours of a thing. So she breaks it into two equations, basically. If you have the raw talent or even a touch of the raw talent for a thing, talent plus effort leads to skill. And then you take that skill and you apply effort to it and you get achievement. Um, and she then goes to break out, okay, what does that effort 
look like. Uh, you need to have deliberate practice. It's not just, you know, I go running every day, but I go running every day um, with a certain goal in mind. I'm going running every day so that I can eventually run a marathon, which is a goal that I'm never going to have. But I practice yoga two or three times a week so that I can see myself get better at these certain positions and then in a more abstract way because it makes me feel better and clears my head and all of those things. Um, but the people who are practicing a thing markedly improve or they improve in a much more noticeable way when there's a goal for a reason for that practice. So it needs to be deliberate practice. You're learning to spell a jillion words because you want to win the national spelling bee. Um, you're not just spelling words for the fun of it, that sort of thing. Uh, and I just... I really appreciated all of the examples that she pulls. She pulls from, you know, athletes and musicians and kids who win the National Spelling Bee, kind of predictable examples, but also talks to people whose achievements might seem less rock starish, uh, but are just as interesting to learn how they got to be in that unique place. And I think this message that it's not about being a genius and that most people who are successful or very many people who are successful aren't successful because they just had a raw talent for a thing or because they were naturals. In fact, uh, when she looked at like the highest levels, the people's uh, success was more explained according to her magical psychological stats models by the amount of effort and the amount of time that they put into a thing rather than their natural level of skill. So you don't have to be magical to be good at a thing. You just have to be willing to be very committed to it and to work very hard. And it seems commonsensical, um, but seeing data behind it and then reading the practical applications that's, that she suggests, I found really useful. Um, not Probably not going to rock your world unless you have really just been thinking that you can't do the thing that you want to do because you're not a natural genius at it, in which case, please read this book and let it rock your world. Um, but you're going to walk away with some really useful tips, I think, for work and for personal life and hobbies and things that we pursue just for fun as well. So again, it's called Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. It's by Angela Duckworth. Awesome. And yeah, it was really good. I liked that one a lot. Uh, okay, before we go to our second like half of the show with our question and answer period. We have our last sponsor this week. Book of the Month Club is back. If you are an avid reader like we are, and we're guessing you are too because you're listening to this show, you know that there's nothing better than getting lost in a great new story. And when that story is a departure from the books you normally pick up, like when you read a book about a dude who's into yoga, uh, it's... <laughs> a really special surprise, like this whole new landscape can open up before you. Uh, so the book of the month is a subscription that aims to keep your reading life adventurous like that. Each month you get to choose from five books that you might not have heard of otherwise. So the actual book you get in the mail won't be a surprise. You don't have to take that level of risk. They'll show you five you'll pick one. They deliver your choice directly to your doorstep, uh, and the choices are narrowed down each month by awesome judges that Book of the Month gets. Um, sometimes they are celebrities like Ellie Kemper and Whoopi Goldberg and David Sedaris. Uh, sometimes they are actors like Josh Radner from How I Met Your Mother, who is a huge book nerd. Uh, sometimes they are people like my life partner, Liberty Hardy. Yay! That's Judge Hardy. I think everyone addressed <laughs> me as Judge Hardy now. <laughs> Can I get you a little, well, I want Judge, well, you could get a robe. I really want you to have like a sheriff's badge. I would like a badge and a gavel. I don't yes. need a robe, just a gavel. You definitely need a gavel for everything. 
Uh, so in addition to getting to choose from five books that are selected for you by a variety of people who love books and are excited to share them, uh, you get a great price. Uh, book of the month is $9.99 a month. That's a much better price than Amazon for most of these new hardcovers. And you can add additional uh, books to your box as well if you're into, you know, all of the ones or multiple ones. The May selections are And Sons by David Gilbert, Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld, The Association of Small Bombs by Karan Mahajan, Heat and Light by Jennifer Haig, and I Let You Go by Claire McIntosh. You can learn about these and you can check out past selections at bookofthemonth.com. And here is the best part. When you use the offer code BOOKRIOT50, that's all one word, or sorry, BOOKRIOT30, uh, all one word, the number 30, you get a 30% discount off of a three-month subscription. So again, go to bookofthemonth.com, use the offer code BOOKRIOT30, and you'll get a 30% discount off of a three-month membership to Book of the Month with great reads, including those selected by our own Miss Liberty. Yay! I like to pretend that there are no other bookish projects in your life, but I'm okay with you, you know, having book of the month on the side <laughs> <laughs> yes they're my they're my book mistress <laughs> oh we should have put book mistress on our business cards <laughs> it's not Probably. too late it's not too late uh okay so let's go to q and a's oh, first, oh. wait i don't remember are we gonna talk about what we're gonna read now oh now? Or i are totally we forgot that yes let's do that that's a thing that okay because i'm really excited <laughs> Because I have in my hot little hand... Tell me, tell me, tell me. Here I Am by Jonathan Safran Foer. I squealed out loud. Like, we were coming home from lunch today, and I was opening the mail as we were walking into the house, and my boyfriend was talking, and in the middle of him talking, I just ran off. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I had to take a picture and show this to the internet. <laughs> yes, I love him. I love Everything is Illuminated. I love Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. And I'm so excited for this 600-page novel. Um, yeah. So, I'm just excited, excited all around. I don't even know what it's about, um, but just excited. Who needs to know? Woo! Did I mention I was excited? <laughs> what have you got? I just started Shrill by Lindy West. Nice! Yeah, essay collection by a funny, smart uh, feminist writer. I'm, I'm, so I've just begun it. I think I'm going to be talking about it on the show in a couple of weeks so far. Really enjoying it. I had to go back and watch Disney's Robin Hood after I read that book. <laughs> Which you'll understand as you get further into it. <laughs> now I'm really intrigued. Okay, so... It's question time! Question time! Uh, let's see. This first one is from Gary. He uh, wants to know, he says, I know you don't often talk about books you don't like, but what is your least favorite book you read, or what was a book that was so bad you had to quit partway through it? <laughs> That's a tough one. Well, well I, you can answer the last part easily. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, I don't like to talk about books that I I don't like. I will cop to not enjoying Wuthering Heights. Mm. I read it when I was 13, and I, I was like, you know, fox those moody people. Um, <laughs> but we had a long discussion on Slack the other day, and, you know, a lot of our contributors loved it, and they think I should read it again now that I'm, you know, 15 instead of 13. So, um <laughs> But, yeah, I, I don't like to talk about books. No. And you never quit books, <laughs> even when they're bad. So yeah, you no, don't have been that like, story. There's been, like, four, I think, in my whole life that I've just stopped. Um, one one was The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat by Oliver Sacks. <gasps> I was 
young, very, very young. It was like when it All came right. out, so however I'm old I was when it came you. out. And I stopped in the middle of it because I was really bored and I never picked it up again. I'm really sorry. It's okay. Uh, I don't know that I have a least favorite book because I do quit books with reckless abandon if they're not working for me. I probably quit for every book that I talk about on this show. I quit like a quarter to a half of a book <laughs> for it. It takes me like seven attempts to get to four books I want to talk about. Um, a book I really did not like. I don't like to do this often either, but I feel pretty confident because like this book was basically universally agreed to be a stinker. Um, Beatrice and Virgil by Jan Martel, who wrote The Life of Pi. I just loved The Life of Pi when I read it. I was in college. It was really different from anything that I had read at that time. Obviously, I was not alone because like everybody read and loved The Life of Pi and it sold a bajillion copies. So I was super excited when I was a young blogger and Beatrice and Virgil came out. And I was like, oh, I know this author's name and I'm going to get an early copy of it. And that's going to be so fancy. And uh, I just hated the whole thing. The characters are both animals. One of them is a donkey. I don't even remember what kind of animal the other one is. And they're like trudging across a desert writing a play or they're in a play or something. I read the whole thing, but I think I've blocked parts of it. And there's a, the whole thing turns out to be like some kind of a Holocaust metaphor that doesn't land very well. Um, I just, re I really do not enjoy Beatrice and Virgil by Jan Martel. So that's the closest I could get. It was the first thing that came to mind when I was like, oh, what do I feel okay kind of, you know, saying that I really didn't like. Jan Martel's bank account is not hurting because I didn't like Beatrice and Virgil. So uh, we're cool with that. Pat the Bunny is pretty much rubbish. <laughs> no, I, I mean, know. it doesn't have nearly enough words. Yeah, like, where are the words? <laughs> so dumb. Uh, let's see. This is from Jillian. And we um, hit on some of this last week, but I'll um, bring this back around. She's curious about our reading habits. She wants to know how many books do we each read per day or per week? How much time do you spend every day reading? And how are they normally broken down between print, electronic, and audio? Um, <laughs> I read between 15 and 17 hours a day. So um, I don't know. I, I read between one and four books a day. Um, sometimes I don't read any books in a day, you know, like it's just one of those days. Yeah. Um, but I, I still, I know we've discussed this before, but I still have not listened to an audiobook. Um, and I probably read about 50-50 between print and, you know, PDFs on my laptop for work. Um, I really, you know, people, you know, I say I don't do anything but read and people are like, oh, but I don't do anything <laughs> but read, so... <laughs> Oh. Oh, my answer is not nearly as exciting. <laughs> That's you're though everybody is different. You know? Like uh, I didn't even used to like say how much I read, but you know, like, yeah. I'm just gonna own it. I read uh, I I shoot to read for an hour every day, and I probably average about an hour every day between um days that I get 30 minutes and days that I get like sometimes on the weekend I'll read for like three or four hours straight um it's not as like I keep telling myself someday I'm gonna have like a set reading routine and it's just not like that's just not how my life 
works. Uh, so I read for between 30 minutes and, you know, an hour or two every day. I've been trying lately to get up earlier and read for half an hour before I start work. And in my ideal world, I finish work like at five or six, and then I read for an hour and then cook dinner or like cook dinner and hang out with my husband. And then I read, but you know, it just doesn't always happen there. I go in stretches. Like there are definitely times that I get to Thursday and I'm like, oh crap, I need to read books. Cause I have to talk to Liberty about them on Monday. <laughs> for a show. Uh, so it just, you know, goes in, fits and starts sometimes. Uh, no matter what I do, I read about 100 books a year. Um, I've added audio, I read digitally, I have messed around with routines and schedules and whatnot, and like nothing really seems to change it. It'll wiggle a little bit, you know, some years it's 98 and some years it's 105, but it's basically two books a week that I finish. Uh, but like I said, I start a ton of books and I don't keep track of that. Maybe I'll do that for 2017. Uh, keep track of all the books that I start to so I can figure out, you know, really how many starts it takes to get to 100 finishes. Uh, but how I tend many to... licks it takes to get to the center <laughs> of a book? Yes. Uh... Yeah, normally broken down between print and electronic. I think last year, about 60% of my reading was digital, um, and almost all the rest was print. I listened to one or two audiobooks a month. Uh, so audio is like, I don't know, 5% of my, 5 or 10% of my reading life. Uh, that's a fun question. I wish that I read more. I think we all feel that way, though. I think even you feel that way. And it's like, of this course. Yeah. it's this universal reader thing that no one feels like they have enough time to read. Uh, oh, here's a fun question that I don't have an answer to from uh, Thaisa Rice. And she wants to know if we've ever recommended books to one another that we didn't like. See, I don't have an answer for that either. Because I think we, we select books that we hear the other talk about. To read yeah. ourselves, um, and so I, I couldn't. I couldn't think of. I couldn't yeah, think I know, of an answer. I know that I've picked up and read plenty of things because you talked about them, and as you were talking about them, I knew like this is a book that I'm probably going to like. Yeah, and I know yeah. that if you actually had an answer, you wouldn't say it because I'm very sensitive. <laughs> and I, would, I would. I would tell you. I might not tell the whole internet, but I would tell you <laughs> privately if I didn't like it. But I also think like we've. We, we're, like, basically married to each other at this point. <laughs> We've been friends for so long, and so much of our friendship and our working life together is about books that we have a pretty finely honed sense of what the other person is going to be interested in, you know? Like, yeah. It's, yeah. I, I don't think say, it's happened. I can say there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh, that thing that we wanted to read that we thought was going to be awesome was not. Yes. You know, like, yeah. steer clear. <laughs> yeah, that happens pretty frequently where we plan out what we think we're going to talk about on the show. And then midway through the week, one or both of us is like, ah, everything I thought I was going to talk about, I'm not going to talk about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't, I don't think you've, right. And like, I think it goes that. Sometimes you talk about books that you loved that I know, like, that's just not a book for me. And I'm sure that the same thing happens with books that I pick out. We're just, you know, our Venn diagram is not a circle. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we, we get to more questions, I'm going to ask you questions. <gasps> okay. All right. I'm okay. actually going to ask you two questions, and you can pick the one that you want to answer. I was not prepared for a pop quiz. Yep. Well, too bad. You're getting one. Okay. <laughs> the first question is... If you could have a dinner party with three authors no longer living, <laughs> oh, who would they be? Or what is the airspeed velocity of a laden swallow? 
I know that that last one is a joke from something, and I don't remember what the rest of the joke is. (laughs) Such a nerd. I'm like nerd with a capital nitrogen. It's just. (laughs) Okay. um, James Salter. Oh, I always forget he's gone now. I know. And he and his wife wrote that awesome book about food called Life is Meals. So I definitely want to have him at a dinner party. Uh, James Salter, Zora Neale Hurston, and Oscar Wilde. Because, like, you have to invite Oscar Wilde to your imaginary dinner party in the Because he would be really mad at you if you didn't. And, actually, I would also invite Dorothy Parker. And I then just, I would try would to get Dorothy fun. Parker and Oscar Wilde to, like, fight with each other. Because <laughs> <laughs> one of them would need to throw their martini in the other one's face. True. Yeah. All right. <laughs> now back to our regularly scheduled questions. Okay, uh, Allison Rose wants to know if there's a book that we read as a kid or a teen and then reread as an adult and had a completely different reaction to. Um, and related to that, is there a book that we've only read as a kid that we really want to reread to see how it's different? Have you done that? Neither of us is a big rereader. No, but I did read um, The Witches of Eastwick by John Updike when I was uh, 11, I think. And I was like, this is so great, a book about witches. This is fantastic. I loved this novel. And then I reread it when I was like 27 or 28. And I was like, there's so much sex in this book. And it all went over my head. Like, <laughs> I had no idea like what I don't like some. I think it was Lori House Anderson. She kind I think it was her. She was talking about how sometimes when kids read things they don't understand, they just kind of like move on from it and don't even like yeah. really think about it. And I think that's what happened because that book is full of sex. And I was like. What, how how did I read this and not pick up on that? It's like, well, because I was 11. Um, and I feel that way about John Irving novels. Like, I read most oh, of John yeah. Irving's novels when I was young. And I was, a, I was a little bit older, but there's probably a lot that I missed that I would... The only one of his books that I've reread uh, many times is A Prayer for Owen Meaty. But I would love to reread some of the other ones and see, like, what I missed around there. Because his books oh, are full yeah. of sex. <laughs> yeah, I read The World According to Garp when I was way too young for it. And I missed basically all of the book. <laughs> and then reread it as an adult, and I was like, oh. Um, as a kid or a teen. Uh, I had the kind of stereotypical thing happen with Catcher in the Rye, where I loved it when I read it in high school. I think I was 15 when we had to read it in high school. Um, and I was, I really, like, I was a teacher's pet kind of kid, but I really wanted to have angst. And so I totally thought that I related to Holden Caulfield <laughs> and all of his angst. Uh, and then I reread it as an adult and was like, yes, this is a book that you really need to read when you're a teenager and you can appreciate it. Um, a book that I've read as a kid that I want to reread to see how different it would feel. I'm not actually sure I want to do that. Most of the time, the books that I loved that have affected me a lot when I was younger I'm afraid to reread them because I don't want to find out like that they are going to lose the magic I don't think I have an answer to that one I read Um, the fountainhead when I was like 13 (laughs) and I was like this is a book about nonconformism and redheads woo and then when I got older and everyone's like no Rand no socialism bad this that all these horrible things about her I was like I don't want to reread that (laughs) like I don't want to lose the experience that I had (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, there's something to be said for that. Um, and here's our last question is from Maymuna, and they want to know how can someone become a Book Riot contributor and do we require a portfolio of published work? Uh, so we don't require a portfolio of published work. Uh, there is a page on the site that you can fill out. If you go to bookriot.com and you scroll all the way to the bottom of the homepage, you'll see a little link that says join us. You click that and there is an application form that you fill out. It will require you to include um, two pieces that you've written for Book Riot. If we don't take you as a contributor, uh, which just like as numbers go, we take less than 10% of the people that apply, you'll be able to use those pieces for whatever you want for your own blog or to submit them to other places in the future. If we do take you, then great, you're a Book Riot contributor. Um, we've got contributors that are longtime freelance writers, and many of our contributors came to us as um, you know, like bloggers early on, or this was their first experience writing about books, but they had been writing about other things. So there's really not just one path to it. Um, when we look at contributor applications, we're looking for, do they, does this person like fill a slot of uh, a kind of coverage or an interest that we're not covering as well as we might like to? Is this a really great voice that we just can't resist having on the site? Do they understand what Book Riot does and how we do it. And um, so we're reading those pieces with an eye towards, is this something that, you know, shows you understand Book Riot and that you are prepared to write for it? Could we run this post on our site today and it feel like it makes sense? Um, so that's how you can apply. Again, bookriot.com, scroll to the bottom, there's a join us page. And then once a year, we do a big open call for applications where we publicize, like we're taking a ton of them. Uh, but we do always take uh, submissions and applications throughout the year as well. And so that is how you can apply. Um, I'm not actually involved in the contributor selection process anymore. That belongs to... Because you got me. I know. <laughs> no, you're, you're all... not allowed to do it anymore. They're like, no more, no more choices for well, you. Well, they were like, well, she had a win. <laughs> Liberty, and we don't want to try anymore because <laughs> it's never going to be better. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I got to be a contributor because um, I know all your secrets. That's true. So <laughs> <laughs> you're afraid of what would happen. Yeah, we can't ever break up. Nope. We would end up on Maury. Uh <laughs> So those are our books, new books for this week, and our question and answers for our birthiversary. Thank um, you to many, everybody who has been listening. Yes, to all of you. We know a lot of you have been with us since the very first week, and it's just so cool to get to hang out with you on the internet every week. Um, if any of you are going to be at BEA in Chicago next week, we will both be there. My hair is two different shades of purple right now, and I'm pretty easy to spot. And Liberty has what you have blonde and pink and purple right now. Yeah. And giant platform boots. Yes, she's easy to spot too. Um, and we're friendly. So please, if you are there and you see us, if come say hi. Thoughts. <laughs> yes. Uh, please come say hi. We, we always like to meet our fellow book lovers and book riot peeps. I just said peeps. That's like um, where that's where we are today. That's so 2012. <laughs> but please do come say <laughs> hi to us. We'll be running around there. Um, so let's not see. very fast because again, platform boots. <laughs> right. You, we're easy to catch, but please don't fight. Yes. <laughs> Thanks again to our sponsors this week. You can go to thirdlove.com slash books to get your free 30-day trial with the 24-7 t-shirt bra. If you are of the bra-wearing kind, I highly recommend. Yes. Thank you to The Killing Forest by Sarah Bladel. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. And to Book of the Month, go to bookofthemonth.com and use the offer code BOOKRIOT30 for a 30% discount off your three-month subscription. Uh, you can drop us a line at all the books at 
bookriot.com. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Our liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you've got a minute and you could rate or review the show on iTunes, we'd appreciate it. And you would help us find our way to more bookish listeners as we roll into our second year. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. So, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.